Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You know what I want. Hello, guys. Um, welcome back to the Pull Up Trade podcast. I am Trey. This is Samson. This episode three, I think. No. Yeah, yeah, this is the third one we've done. Third one, okay, so we're kind of consistent now. So it's kind of a real thing now. For today's episode, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to take the lead here and sort of push through the slump. You guys hear Samson talk all the time, so I'm gonna give some of my takes and see where we can go from here. So Samson, to start off, obviously the Raptors are going through a slump. You talk about it every day. You do a reaction pod <laughs> for all these losses. But I do want to take a positive light on this. It's clear that um, we've been missing uh, a key contributor, one that I didn't think was actually going to be um, in the rotation with um, Juancho Hernan Gomez. From my perspective, I think he's probably been one of the most consistent Raptors in the rotation. Have you been seeing this impact? And do you think um, not having him in the lineup for, I believe he played the other day, but um, the last, during the the losing streak, do you think think, um, his absence has um, led to a bit of... um, a negative impact on the court in terms of our bench production. I do think it has. And I think it's worth noting that the Raptors defense has been better this season with Juancho on the floor. Juancho Arnan Gomez, that is. And and, and on top of that, um, the offense isn't, hasn't been lights out. I mean, he missed his three open three point shots last night. It would have been nice to see one of those go down. It is crazy how shooters all slump together. They can't offset each other. What the hell is going on with that? But we're seeing a guy who, this is a fun little NBA.com like idiot stat because it doesn't really mean anything, but the average speed a player travels on defense, Wancho has the highest average speed. It's because he's actually covering a lot of ground defensively. So his length and activity has been able to make up for where he used to get beat because he was too small to play the front court positions. He couldn't battle against the bigger guys. And he was too slow to play against wings and guards. But in the Raptors' defense, it's more about activity rather than it is straight up like on-ball chops. So he's having the best defensive year of his career. He's a very heady cutter. He can rebound on the offensive end. And the shooting will come around at some point. But yeah, dude, that's bang on. Treancho Hernan Gomez, he has, yeah. been, he has been a positive, certainly. No, I've, I've been really surprised. I think what's really valuable, especially in the Raptors scheme, is like having someone that's going to be at in their spot all the time. We we have a, a lot of um, active and um, very athletic defenders like uh, Scotty OG, for example, that can leave their assignment and make a big play. And that can lead to um, a turnover and getting into transition. Whereas Juan, he's he's steady. He's always in the same position every time. He, he might not create a turnover, but because of the Raptors' scheme and their focus on deterring people from the rim, his activity and making sure that he's there every time may lead to other things, and it keeps that um, staying on a string sort of idea in place. And then also just um, everybody knows the half-court offense isn't the greatest, um, and getting cuts and finishing also with that is just an easy way to score in those positions, and it's like invaluable, especially with the team that is not shooting very well. So I think um, he's really going to be helpful going into this very tough stretch of the season. He has a bit of a buffer against point of attack defense because the Raptors are so dependent on having guys with size rotate over. If you're making that dig, for example, and you're creating when you when you dig down on a driver, immediately what comes into play is you're attacking the ball. Yes, but the way you're playing, how upright you are. What kind of passing angle are you allowing to the corner? The bigger you are, the less aggressive angles can be made for, I guess, more advantageous passes. That's where Wancho helps quite a bit. On top of that, though, you know, we know, you know, the democratic rim protection that the Raptors play 
they want to dissuade teams from getting to the rim because they don't have traditional rim protection. And while Christian Coloco has shown, I think, great, I guess, a great knack for it, he fouls too often, as most young bigs do, and he can't command a back line. If you could guess, as far as rim frequency allowed, where the Raptors rank in the NBA currently, what would you say? Hmm. So I feel like I'm good. I'm, I'm going to say too low just because I've seen the last three, three games. I'm going to say 12. So they were 13th last year. Yeah. They're 21st this year. They are also 28th in percentage allowed once teams get there to okay. the rim. And they are still, as it turns out, dead last in corner three-point frequency. So the Raptors are doing the whole thing where they're like, we're going to take stuff away. And in yeah. doing so, they've taken nothing away. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm curious when we think about this point of attack defense, this is where the conversation is. Do you think this is scheme? Do you think this is personnel? Do you think the hubris, things gone wrong, injuries? What is what is Trey's take on point of attack defense with the Raptors? It's definitely something that they obviously struggle in. Um, the last um, episode that we talked about is that they, we mentioned that they've kind of been using Scotty as their stopper, and it hasn't been working. It probably hasn't been a, a great highlight of his skill set. But um, the Raptors in general, in a whole, probably haven't been defending very well. They kind of have to play this scheme, though, just considering the construction of their roster. They need to create turnovers in order to get into transition and to score. Um, if they were in a traditional drop scheme, which might bold well because you have strong point of attack defenders like Fred, OG, who can ice a pick and roll and and stay attached to a defender, that would be nice. But um, we don't have that general rim protector like um, a Brooke Lopez that dissuades you from going to the rim just simply because he's seven foot and 260 pounds. We have someone yeah, who's six nine two thirty, and that's still going to lead to rim attempts. So I, I, the biggest question probably is um, with the current roster construction, A, is there going to be some development where the shooting allows you to change your scheme defensively and can be less aggressive? But for now, I don't see a way that they could play differently and be effective currently. So does that mean you're visiting a certain website, entering <laughs> some names next to numbers, letting a little beep boop turn out green or red? Like, is that is that what you get up to on your time off like some of our friends do or what? I'm, this season, I actually have not been a trade merchant. Wow. I've, I've been, I have been the optimistic one, I would say, of our group. Um, um, can you sell me on some of the optimism then let's let's walk through that i mean we started out a podcast in the midst of a losing streak by saying like wow wancho is doing so good so there's optimism abound but i'd i'd like to hear some optimism from you sure all right from the from the baseline we have a player that's playing at a superstar level which is something we haven't seen since Kawhi. he was even taking nights off so we probably haven't seen it in the history of the freaking franchise. (laughs) Based off that point, that can take you very far in a lot of games. Obviously, the Raptors are very injured. Guys are returning. Um, And the big thing that I I see is, like, the shooting is going to to regress positively. Like, Fred Van Vliet is one of the best shooters in the world. At some point, he's going to hit his shots. We're probably seeing a... 10 or 20 percentile like worst case scenario in terms of his shooting production so that's going to rebound scotty barnes has shown some progression over the last few games he's starting to hit shots he's making more plays and his passing is still very good and i also think a big thing that people aren't realizing is like the defense last year um had precious precious took a very big leap defensively and that and having that as a backline defender, someone who can guard any type of player and also be a backline and guard Joel Embiid with some help makes your scheme like way more valuable and more versatile compared to when we have a Thad Young who's playing the five, who is more limited. So I think with getting healthy and having some positive regression with our shooting, you're going to see them go on some sort of run. Maybe that's not um, a contender or a leap that everyone wants to see, but I don't I don't think they're a 500 team. They're much better than this. It's If this has happened at the start of the year, and let's say Precious was injured to start the year, for example, a lot of people would just 
say that's what it is. Because Precious, the Raptors turning their defense around, like they had that horrible stretch last season where they were last in the NBA for about a month, which is kind of nuts. And then they were, I believe, fourth for a stretch of like four months. And Precious Achua was a massive part of that on defense. But because of the fits and starts that he had to start this season, you know, he had that awesome game against Miami that he got 22 rebounds and now... Nick Nurse is like, well, if he just does what he did in Miami, then he can get playing time, which is kind of hilarious. Um, We've seen the Raptors. Definitely Precious did not play, I think, to his full capability, whether or not that warranted less minutes and a complete shuffling of the rotation. We'll see. But I think in January when he's supposed to be back, so he's going to miss about two months with an injury, which is pretty gnarly that's where I either hit like the big red. If the Raptors don't fix something, I just need to see them with Precious. And it's not that Precious is the savior of everything, but I just need to see them with Precious before I hit the big red button and say, this team stinks or something like that. So yeah, that's that's worth mentioning. And then Fred, I, I got to say, you, you shoot jump shots. What, what does it mean to you when Nick Nurse says, hey, Fred is missing on the, the separate axis now? He, he is missing left to right, and he's never missed left to right before. He usually misses short or long. And I think we can remember that. Everybody anecdotally remembers a lot of front rim for Fred, but it was front rim. And if it was more, it'd go in. So if, if, if let's do the shot, Dr. Trey. You know, let's <laughs> put, on, put on the robe. Let's, let's hear what you think. So if, so if he's missing from left to right, it probably means that he's overcompensating, either A, because he's dealing with an injury, I know he was dealing with a back injury, I want to say like a month ago, give or take. And that's probably something that's lingering. So my best guess was that he's probably overcompensating and and not having the same sort of um, uh, footwork or, or balance that he typically would have as a healthy player. I think that would probably be it. And honestly, he could just be going through a slump. We've seen him shoot 2,000 plus threes, and he's been one of the best shooters in the world. So I'm I'm not really concerned in terms of his shooting. Whether he can stay healthy for a full season, I probably am concerned about that. But we're going to, he's going to play better. He played really well actually yesterday and he hit a he hit a bunch of shots at the rim that I could not believe. So we're seeing that to a degree right now. So I, um as they get healthy, I think he'll be one of the people that will benefit a lot and start to play a lot better. Um one more thing that I'm also very positive about Gary Trent Jr. has yeah. been awesome since being on the bench. Um, I would even say that he's been better than last season. Um, Wait, is this is this a victory lap according to last episode? <laughs> this is a victory lap. Last episode, we mentioned that his approach is a lot better. And though the shots aren't going in, he's taking good shots and he's doing it within the flow of the actual offense. Um, now those shots are going in. And the big thing in terms of um, why it's why what he's doing now is more valuable than what he was doing last season is that he's actually going to the rim. He's not going to be a Giannis. He's not even Scotty or OG where he can probably he probably can't get to the front of the rim and do a layup. But he's figured out ways to be more crafty at the rim, two foot stops, floater off of off of his offhand to actually finish. And he's shooting above fifty percent from two, which is actually pretty shocking that's a valuable player someone that could attack a closeout finish in the lane and also is one of the better shooters in the league is a super valuable player and someone that is useful playing off a superstar like pascal or even in the playoffs so if that continues to happen and the other guys get healthy you've added a player who's taken although statistically it doesn't look like a leap but they've become a much larger positive on the floor and that's going to affect winning and being more productive and winning your minutes, winning your minutes. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that, you know, anecdotally, I think we think of the mid range from like 17 feet and out. But the mid range is a little bit closer. And taking that extra dribble creates a very sizable difference in expected outcomes. Like Pascal Siakam is phenomenal in the mid range overall. He, he's very diverse. He scores well from there, extremely high volume. He's taking more of his shots in the short mid range. And it's, an, I believe, 9% difference right now, 47% to 38% in the long mid-range. Gary, I think, is around 56 or 57% in the short mid-range. And that volume for him 
the frequency has gone up quite a bit from last season. And that's just putting down an extra dribble or you, having your first dribble go more so towards the rim instead of like those escape dribbles to the side that he liked. It's it's just a better process and getting himself into more dangerous spots. The other thing that might happen with this is that we saw it happening slowly. It's not on high volume because he doesn't have that many creation, I guess, possessions now. But as this happens with everybody, as Gary gets a bit deeper more often, defenses respond in kind, playmaking opportunities arise. This is the progression that's supposed to happen in his career. Or, you know, people get a little bit more aggressive at the point of attack or in rotation and you get to the free throw line. So you're absolutely correct when you brought that up. Like, hey, is Gary doing more things correctly? We're just not seeing the ball go in. Uh, resounding yes, as far as that goes. So that's really nice to see. Yeah. Was, and even yesterday, um, to jump back on your playmaking point, um, he made a read that we probably have never seen him do <laughs> in the Raptors uniform where he he took a dribble. Scotty came in on a cut and he was able to hit him and find him and score. Whereas last season, he's probably taking a side dribble and we're hoping he gets fouled, but it's going to be a contested mid-range jumper, which is the the shot that every defense is looking to get in general. And although he was hitting at a very high clip, that's probably not sustainable, and he isn't hitting those shots like he is last year. So it's it's nice to see that he's found other ways to, to contribute. Well, it's, it's a lot easier to succeed at basketball when your process isn't dependent on you being like one of the five best shooters in the world off the dribble. It's a, it's a very tough gambit to win at. The Raptors are currently saying, Malachi Flynn, can you do this for me? And it's like not going well. Um, but also your point about the Scotty pass is that Gary is very bad typically at passing outside of the action. If they run a two-man action, he'll hit the roller on occasion, dribble handoff, pick and roll, whatever. Like he'll pop it over. He'll if if you know if the a guy tags in against it, he can make that swing one pass away above the break. But what he did was he observed the action, observed how the defense was responding, and found a cutter outside of it, which is a big deal because that doesn't happen very often for Gary. So big shout out to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like being right. Hey, yeah, me too, man. Have you been right about anything else? Are there any other takes you feel like uh, you've been exonerated on? Like you're like, I'm a free man. I beat the allegations. <laughs> I feel like I've been wrong about way too many things to claim something up, to be honest. We, well, actually, you've been right about one thing, but uh, we talked about that last episode. And I'm not rehashing the Tatum conversation. <laughs> not, right, not right now. It's looking good for me. I'm going to get you a jersey. Dog, it does not look good at all. Uh, okay. <laughs> So next thing, big teams, the Raptors. So this is the, this is the silver lining. It, maybe it's not even like silver. It's like a gray lining on a cloud because it's really hard to look for them. Uh, Pascal Siakam at practice today was like, uh, he's like, you know, winning solves everything. Winning is easy because it just makes everything good. It's a lot harder to look for good things when everything is bad. I was like, damn, that's true. And he was, he also said like, whatever happens happened and like, we can't change the outcomes of the past. So whatever. I was like, damn, he continues to be very Zen and sage like in his uh, media availability, but the Raptors against Orlando who have now won four in a row by the time this podcast comes out, maybe not, but they've won four in a row. Sacramento is good. They got absolutely demolished by, <laughs> by the Pelicans. So when we look at, when we look at the Orlando team, and the Pelicans team, this is size, and truthfully, more size than the Raptors are able to bring to the table, absolutely dominating them. I know you have thoughts about this, and I want to hear about them. Yeah. I, I think that stretch was really, really interesting because it was the first time we've played like those type of teams like consecutively, also to see to see it. Um Right now, it it shows like um, a bit of confusion of what we have in terms of our roster construction because the Pelicans and the Magic, the Magic aren't are better than the Raptors. I just want to put that out there. I don't believe so. Okay, it's but, it's not that the Magic and the Raptors follow the same line as Franz and Scotty or something like that. It 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 acts out accordingly, maybe. Oh yeah, um, but those guys have have players that can do that can create and also playmake with their size. Whereas the Raptors have one player that probably does that. And they have Scotty who they hope can do that. They Orlando has a player like Franz 
who can work as an off-ball creator and create um, havoc and gravity by just simply moving off the ball. And once he grabs it, he gets to the rim at a very high rate, which is probably something no one ever saw. I watched him at Michigan a few times and never saw him get to the rim. And now he's grabbing the ball and getting to the rim like Paul George back in the day. Can I say something, actually? The fact that you saw him in Michigan... And that didn't, and he was so not this guy that you couldn't even lean into your bias to be like, oh yeah, he's so stamped. It speaks to the steps he's made as a pro. Pretty crazy. No, it is. They have a player like Bull Bull, who's seven foot plus, who can create, who can shoot and do a bunch of different things. So they can get away with having slower foot speed because they have the length and then offensively they're able to create and, um, and finish. Um, with the with the Pelicans, um, that one that game was. We watched this one together. That game was a bit more concerning, just given because they were able to outsize us and they put a lot of funky matchups that players like a OG has never really seen or had to deal with. Where he's guarding a player who's they put they put Larry Nance on him for context, and Larry Nance was able to keep up with him with his foot speed and is also just as strong. Mm-hmm. So it takes away a lot of those um, catch and go opportunities where he's separating someone from from the from the court and finishing. And they also have players like a Dyson Daniels who can who can operate as a, a two guard, who can finish, who can pass, and operate in the same way that a, a regular point guard would with their size. So I think um, if you're ideal is to keep with this roster construction and six six nine vision six nine the idea would be to look towards those type of players and try to hunt those skill sets so that you can play as big as those teams and have functional offense continuing on um for 48 minutes so the big there's a couple names missing there uh herb jones wasn't much of an impact in that game yeah trey murphy was uh, you want to talk about length plus skill set and a valuable one as far as like a set shooter. He, he is that dude. He just yep. he's such a heat pump. We saw it in last year's playoffs. And then a name that we don't have to talk about that much because everybody talks about it all the time because he's an MVP candidate. But Zion Williamson and OG Ananobi has been walking around for the early part of the season like he was Thanos, honestly, like he's like. <laughs> You know, where did that failure bring you? Back to me, to everybody. He won every defensive matchup of the season. And then Zion came out. And Zion was like, I'm the only guy who can make you feel this small, and I'm going to. And I got to tell you, I do not consider it a bad thing that OG can't 1v1 Zion. In fact, I don't think anyone from the, the pantheon of great defenders, bring Dennis Rodman out here. He might die. You know, like he, <laughs> I, I just don't think there's a defender for Zion and Zion was just starting to get into his groove, which is kind of the magic thing too, is like, it's not so much about the record you're playing, but the form of the team that you're playing. It's important to remember that it's like when the Raptors lost to Memphis last year without jaw and everybody's like Memphis without jaw, but that was Memphis as they started what they end up like, they were like what 52 and one without jaw last season or something. Like that. <laughs> um, but it was interesting to see the Raptors being less athletic, being less physical, and being less long. And typically, if they don't have one of those things, they really win in those other aspects. And they weren't able to in either that first New Orleans game and the past two Magic games. They got beat in a lot of the facets that they usually win in. And that is a tough pill to swallow, man. It, it, it is because the... Both teams are taking the same approach, but obviously the Pelicans, um, because they've had tons of picks, they're hunting for size plus skill set at the top of the draft. So they're getting players who are have this very rare skill set, or even the Magic, for example. There's probably like a handful of players have ever had Paulo's skill set and, and size, whereas the Raptors are taking players from lower in the draft who have, who have more flaws and they're – hoping through internal development that they're going to actually develop those skills. So it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. I would say just because your, your ideal is to create um, like very rare size and skill set combinations. And right now they're sort of clashing and 
ideally you want to stay patient, but it is tough to see teams like this playing like we would ideally want to and have the skill sets that we're craving for currently. I haven't heard that vocalized in that way, but that was perfect. Hunting for skill sets under this, like girdered by this idea, these tenets, and one team or two teams get to do it at the top of the draft and the other just doesn't. And it is a big difference that Mo Bamba, for example, can come in and for a half against the Raptors, maybe three quarters, just annihilate them. And that is a top-end talent. So when he puts it together for a game, he just has more things working in his in his favor. He can do that more consistently than, say, a Dolano Banton can. And the Raptors have been, I guess, they don't have a bunch of cheap contracts because they have to spend so long developing them internally before they become like, okay, length plus skill set. They don't have any of those guys who are super, super interesting, like Scotty, yes, but that's the one year. They don't have like a bunch of guys like Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, yeah. I guess Herb. Those guys got drafted late anyway. I don't know, dog. It's like, it's tough. I just, be, be better at drafting. I don't know. Like It's, it's tough to build an NBA team. Yeah. That's, that's the big takeaway. But yeah, like Dyson Daniels, Brandon Ingram, guys like that. Ingram, obviously the second overall pick. Uh, yeah. Daniels was eighth, I believe. Zion, you know, uh, he's that guy, number one. It's just like a lot of stuff going on. And the Raptors, they haven't been able to draft that type of pedigree onto the team. Even Mobamba, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, like these guys, they don't get to draft that level of pedigree. And pedigree is only useful when it turns up. But it does turn up. There's a reason why people care about the top end of the draft. There's a reason why people were so impressed with OG, with Pascal, and you know, and Fred, like these end of draft guys. The Raptors have hit on a lot, but they need to keep hitting on stuff because Fred and Pascal are in the prime of their career. They're not young. They're not cheap. OG is about to get paid like crazy. It's just, it's tough, man. They got to be able to sign some guys. Malcolm Brogdon. I can't believe you chose Boston. Oh, why? Curses. <laughs> yeah, he w- he would have been been nice. Um, jumping into the the Pelicans, um, they've been one of the most exciting teams in the league. They're overwhelming everybody with their physicality, even us. Yes. Um, do you think this is just an early season run, like we saw with the Cavs, and we'll see some sort of correction? Or are they um, a legitimate top of the the West type team who can actually make noise in the playoffs? Dude, you can find a podcast called Pound the Rock where July, I believe, I said New Orleans could win it all. And this was kind of what I envisioned. They've actually been much better defensively than I thought they would be by the numbers. Uh, We made fun of goose because we we're saying like, Oh, you like numbers, numbers, boy, calculator boy. When he was like, they're like third in defensive rating or something. But the offense is kind of the crazy part about it is like Zion has this incredible thing where his pickup point on his finishes exists about six feet farther out than anybody else in the NBA because of his explosion, because of the frame he can bounce with anybody in there. He has great finishing. Like he's got great touch. He gets to the bucket. And even if you dig early, which was the problem for the Raptors, even if you dig early, the dig isn't going to work because that's a vice grip you're reaching into. Yeah. But not only that, but he has the athleticism that you have to start the dig like 19 feet from the rim if you want to keep him from finishing there. It can't come at it can't come at the 45 like it does for a lot of players. Like we see it comes for like a guy like Scotty or Pascal or OG. And those guys are great. But Zion is just a whole different thing. And then you overload to contest Zion. And then Jonas Valanciunas is just smashing into the offensive glass. And then you collapse and they have guys like Herb Jones, who is a much better three-point shooter than people expected. Trey Murphy, who we talked about. They have Brandon Ingram, who hasn't even been like a big part of the early start of the season. But he's a top 30 player and could conceivably be like a top 20 player if he's on. And that team, Jose Alvarado, yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> of course. But like that team is just insane to me, dude. Of course, yeah, they could win it all. I feel very confident that they could do it. 
I, I have no confidence in all. I, to be honest, I don't. Let's go. I, I don't believe in it. Damn, why? Let's. What was the reason? Um, because they don't fit some of the characteristics that all championship teams like. The last few teams have won with defense. They haven't been very good offenses with the Warriors, um, Bucks, even the Lakers. To example, I know they were top five, but that was mostly because of transition. Um, at the point of attack, at the guard spot, they don't really have anyone that can contain um, a top tier guard like a Steph or a Ja. Aside from Jose Alvarado, but he's probably not going to play that much, that many minutes in the playoff series. And usually, when you don't have that that strong point of attack defender who can defend guards, you have someone on the back end who's going to be able to clean up messes and and protect the rim. But I don't think Jonas is at that level where he is. <laughs> I don't think Jonas is going to be at that level where he's going to be making up for playing um, CJ McCollum 38 minutes in a playoff series. And Zion is also gambling on a bunch of possessions. So I don't, until they get a big, I'm not that confident that they can come out of the, the West. Like I believe the Warriors are, aren't good right now, but I think, I think Steph Curry would give them issues. I would, I would probably see, I'd probably be more confident with a team like Memphis uh, Jaw would give them a lot of problems as well. And um, until I see that they have a defense that can actually defend those type of teams, I, I'm i I'm not in on the Pelicans. I okay. could be wrong, though. So let's say it's Memphis versus New Orleans. You don't think that Zion caves Jaron's chest in? Like, I, like how does that matchup go? Because Jaron is a defensive player of the year candidate anytime he steps on the court. Who's stopping Zion on the other end? I think Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson would do a great job on Zion. I'm okay. not saying that he's going to score 15, but they are would offer similar similar deterrence as like the Bucks, for example, where you have this super athletic 6'10 forward who's flying in on a help, help side, and then you have this 7-foot center who's sturdy, who's going to be in the way and offers tons of length. Zion six six. He's going to have to go through both of those players on those possessions, and the only way I would see if they're getting punished by by playing very conservative and shelling in on him is if Zion takes a leap as a playmaker and he's going to be able to find players like Trey Murphy on a consistent basis with teams with five guys looking at him asking him to make a play. We'll see, man. I like. <laughs> I am left thinking that New Orleans will figure it out. Although we probably, I do understand why people, and it, it's crazy that this has become the, I guess the default, but everybody, Pelicans fans, fans from elsewhere in the NBA, analysts all say, well, you can't close with Jonas. Like the biggest stage, you can't close with Jonas. First of all, that sucks, dude. It's so crazy that a player as good as Jonas can't close games. That's yeah. terrible. But also, there's some wisdom in being, you know, we were just talking about the Raptors at the top of this podcast and how important point of attack defense is so that everything else doesn't collapse. Uh, point of attack defense is pretty important. I don't know. I hey, Actually, I don't know. He's wrong. I know the Warriors are not that team. They're not going to be there at the end of the year. I know that much. <laughs> However, Memphis uh, is a compelling point, I suppose. But I'm out of the West? I'm gonna be cheering for New Orleans, dog. That's oh. that's the team I want to see. Yeah, they're, no, they're a super exciting team, and ideally, the position that we'd want our team to be in, where you have all these young athletic forwards who are suffocating defenses, and have a player like Zion whose physicality is too much for any other team, aside from the Memphis Grizzlies. But it's man, Pascal Siakam. I kind of just want to talk about him. We've we've we talked about him in our first episode. We talked about his absence in our second episode, and now just a quick touch on the guy. How do you feel about him after his return from injury? He's had two, I would say, bad games for what we've come to expect this far recently. Uh, Pascal thoughts? Hmm, I have similar thoughts to the first episode. He's gotten to a level where. I'm like fairly confident that he can be like the offensive hub for a championship team. He he has gotten to a, a point, and I have been wrong about this man. 
thoroughly wrong. I didn't think you'd get to this point where he's gone but to a no, point. Don't be t- nobody did. <laughs> Honestly, like if somebody tells you they were, they're a liar. And yeah, like, don't trust them about anything. <laughs> but yeah, just to be clear, thoroughly wrong about this man. But he's gotten to a point where he has an answer for any type of defense that are is being thrown at him. It's impossible for him to pick up his dribble. He's going to keep probing in the lane like a six-one guard would, and he's going to find the open man. These guys haven't been hitting shots, but he's finding the the player that that needs to get the shot off. And then he's if he's getting single coverage, he gets to the rim at will. We've seen um, at points where we played the Cavs where they have a six-eleven monster who is able to guard at the point of attack. He can't even handle him at that point, and anyone under six, seven had doesn't have the physicality to deal with him. And he's separating them from the rim. Um, he's hitting mid range shots at a very high clip that you probably want to see from your star player as well. So for me, I'm probably more confident, even though we're losing that, that, that the front office probably needs to invest in his timeline. I don't think last year, I probably would say, um, Let's stay in the middle. We see how Scotty does, and he's ideally the timeline. He's a great player. He's very young, and he's the future of the franchise. But I think the timeline is Pascal and ensuring that he has another star or or just a team that is able to be a contender. Because it would be a waste of having someone who's probably going to go down as the greatest Raptor of all time, to be honest. Does it make you sad, or is it disappointing to hear that the types of trades the Raptors pursue seem far more like mid-tier rather than trying to add a star. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, Miles Turner. Oh, yeah, Yaka Pertle. Like, we were looking at this, like, kind of interesting two-guard. You know, our name was in the hat for this guy who plays, like, 22 minutes a game and 27. Like, if you say you want a star, that sounds like you want to, like, steal Bradley Beal out of Washington or something like that, you know? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Bradley can stay in Washington. <laughs> But but yeah, um, I, the ideal scenario is like getting a star, but that's obviously very hard. You you kind of can't stay in a, a point where you're not continually getting better. So adding uh, a Jakob Perto or a Miles Turner, I probably would prefer a Miles Turner over over Jakob personally. But um, there needs to be some sort of improvement on on that end, just to like a justify because he's probably going to make All NBA and get a super max justify paying these players him and fred maximum contracts and seeing some sort of success on the court because you don't want to stay in the middle so continual improvement probably makes sense and it it might show another star that hey if i if i jump here i can take them over the top and win a championship a la Kawhi. that'd be cool i personally i would be a fan of that i would i would enjoy seeing that uh something we didn't touch on is that the raptors Minutes. So I'll set the stage. Uh, the minutes have been a conversation all year and for the past couple years with Nick Nurse. First off, started as a meme, kind of like a chuckle, like, wow, he plays his guys lots. Has turned into, I think, resentment from the fan base. And especially as injuries continue to pop up, uh, every time they ask about somebody, they say he's fine. And then a week and a half later, they hit the injured list. Uh, Fred, OG, Scotty, very important players to the team. And we've seen a team, we just talked about how Wancho, when he's there, has solidified himself as, you know, a rotation player. Cam gets minutes when available. But the minutes conversation, Nick Nurse, I'm curious where you stand on this. I, I um, like the Nick um, Thibodeau allegations have been out on him for a for a, for a long for a long time now, um, I'm still pro nurse and and the approach. Like I do think, probably last year we were hoarding wins over the long term health of Fred VanVleet. I think we're seeing that this season, and that has been a killer, especially entering like his contract year. But I do think also his approach is probably a good reason why we see a lot of the internal development that we see. Because when the Raptors believe in a player they will play him as much as possible regardless of what's going on as long as they play defense precious is one of the worst offensive players in the league for around two months 
and he was still playing 25 plus minutes simply because the Raptors believed in him and the vision and what they're doing. And we saw that internal uh, development. So I think there's like a, a catch 22 in the way that they approach things. The Raptors have always valued winning. They've always pushed in trying to win as many regular season um, games as possible. And I think that's a part of the culture and why guys like a Pascal who was an energy big and played defense, but they still gave him tons of minutes and is, was able to get those reps and improve over a long period of time. And obviously him working on his game is the reason why he became who he was. But I, culturally, I don't think we're in a position where we're like the Spurs that can say regular season wins don't matter. Let's not play certain certain guys just because we're a younger franchise. Um, we're still in the like this new phase post Kyle Lowry. So ideally you'd want to keep um, a winning culture going and being a viable place for a, a star or any free agent to come here. It's very tough because, well, is it? I don't know. It's You hear like Pascal and Fred, they'll never complain about the minutes. In fact, they say, give me more of them. Play me all 48. And Chris Boucher, I can't remember what, it was after one of the games and he said like they should make a meme of Pascal or or OG kind of like they had of me like dead on the bench, you know, like playing so many minutes. And Pascal is the only guy who hasn't bore the brunt of the minutes, I think. Yep. He for at this point, a calendar year, has been playing an insane amount of minutes with an insane amount of miles traveled. Uh he has been the offensive initiator for an NBA team. And a grueling type of offensive initiator, too. There's a lot of work involved. It isn't spread, pick, and roll, three dribbles down, make a read to the corner or to the bucket. It's probe, bash, probe, bat. Like, it's it's very tough. And the guys like OG, who now with a hip problem, with a hand problem, uh, Fred, the knee, the back, maybe you have compensation stuff going on from a bunch of different situations. And then Scotty, you have to wonder about compensation as well. Knee, ankle, other ankle. Just, it's a lot, dude. I don't know. Yeah. So I was talking with Evan Gualberto about this. Yeah. And Evan, so do you watch any Premier League soccer? You just just like NFL guy, you know? I did a tiny bit. Just NFL. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> I, know the, I know the good teams. <laughs> okay. So I don't watch that much Premier League soccer either. But my favorite team is Liverpool. And okay. Jurgen Klopp is the the manager. Jurgen Klopp had his team run and pressure the ball, miles traveled, all the stuff that you can make the cross-sport comparison about effort and taxation on the body. Liverpool did it the same way that the Raptors did. Liverpool also won the Champions League and they won the Premier League. And now they seem to be facing some of those negative dividends or I guess, consequences of playing that style all these years later. Not just fatigue on the body, but mental fatigue of playing the hardest brand of basketball or football outside or in, in their respective league. I thought that was such an interesting thing to make. And I can't say definitively now, and we won't until these players move on or there's kind of people who are willing to talk about this team or this era once it's passed, but how the guys really felt about having the hardest job in the NBA because they do. You step onto the Raptors, you have the heart. If you start on the Raptors, you are asked to do a considerable amount more than your brothers elsewhere in the NBA. And to me, I I don't know how a player deals with that. And we are not going to get a guy comment on that openly until this thing's over. Well, that's very valid. Clearly, um, they're, considering our depth, there isn't... Um, a point where you could sacrifice some of Pascal's minutes and probably keep the same amount of wins or seeding that the Raptors had. That was clear last year. They they played Fred uh, a shit ton of minutes because they wanted to get out of the play the play in. Um, we thought they, some of the depth would be addressed. We got injured Otto Porter this year. He he remained healthy one season, and that was for a championship. Good for that man. But um. We haven't found an answer to that depth, and we haven't gotten those additional six, nine guys that can keep the same sort of intensity or same scheme integrity 
um, within what we're doing. So there's guys like Malachi that sit on the bench, um, Champagne that doesn't play or is in the G League now, and Delano to a, to a degree, just because he is he isn't able to do exactly what um, uh, OG is able to do. So OG plays 40 minutes. Um, can that can that issue be addressed with depth and finding the right guys that fit our scheme? I was looking at this after the game where OG was injured, right? And he played 44 minutes after he, it looked like he got injured earlier in the game, then played about, I guess, maybe like 38 minutes after that of an NBA game. Uh, there's also the hand stuff going along as well. When nurses had the guys there, when Pascal first comes back and it's Cleveland and they beat Cleveland 188, the rotation looks like it's in a decent spot. Like Kem is the big they can throw in as a knuckleball. Christian Coloco is going to get, I don't know, 12 to 16 minutes. Maybe that's a bit rich for some people, maybe not enough for others. They have a, they have different guys they can go to in the front court. They have Thad who diversifies their offense, plays within their defense. They have Wancho who kind of plugs in. And then you have Chris, who, as everybody knows, is one of the best bench players in the NBA. They have their starters who they still don't know how to craft a winning starting lineup. We have to see <laughs> what happens once Precious is back. But for the most part, it looks like if they're healthy, they can run 10, game in and game out. The damn thing about it is that they haven't been healthy. And not even close to healthy is the yeah. thing, too. It's like they, they, they're like, yeah, you can have like two guys at a time. Like two. Not, not like seven or eight. Like two guys at a time. Blows my mind, dude. Oh, it's been brutal. I think the last, I want to say the last two or three years, I can't remember the Raptors have like a, a serious long run with their, their rotation. And we got to see how the minutes would, would allocate. We've, we've always had a star out for a certain period of time or an important player like Precious. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if there's a correlation to what, how we play and what we're doing. And if that leads to us getting injured or if that's weird luck, but, um, I would first my my overall opinion is like first let's look at getting core pieces that fit exactly what what we do so that we don't have to overcompensate and play a Fred Van Vliet forty minutes because we don't have a another ball handler on the court. It's a problem, <laughs> like, and there's there's no way to yeah you know you can skin the cat a million different ways that type of thing but good teams know how to do it and win. And the Raptors, unfortunately, have been succeeding at a bunch of different things across these games, like the game against Sacramento. Uh, Pascal has a poor game, maybe not in process because he got to a lot of the shots he wanted, but left, I think you could say genuinely, between 8 to 14 points on like off the board because of just touching every part of the rim and the ball bouncing out. Um, but they had a good half-court offense last game. And lost they've had games like they're one in 12 i believe at this point when their defense is below the 50th percentile as far as like uh, defensive rating they have to defend to win and also if they don't defend then their job on offense gets a lot tougher and the raptors they have to play a certain style to and it's high effort style and if they don't have it from every position or the very important markers on the floor then everything crumbles really quickly, which is why Pascal, the NBA over, has one of the highest on-off differentials in the league because he may, he's pivotal on defense and offense. And what the Raptors have done, this is what Chris Boucher talked about in Oren Weisfeld's piece for Yahoo Sports, I believe, is the two-timeline thing saying, we have guys who are trying to get better, and they, they get to do that. But we have guys who are trying to drag us to wins. And it's like it's tough to find that middle ground. It was yep. cool to hear. It was cool to know that Chris would speak about it that candidly, but he's absolutely correct. The guys who should be supported by very, in some cases, some teams have very good players on them, you know, to surround <laughs> their stars. And the Raptors, I think there's room for optimism with a lot of their guys. And with a guy like Wancho, we talked about, it's nice to see positive impact from a guy who is basically a flyer. There's like five teams in the NBA that said, nah, you know, he was in a movie. Some people were like, oh, he got signed for publicity or something like that. You know, like that's that's the yeah. type of guy they picked up. So we can cheer for that. 
But you can also acknowledge that Bobby, Masai, Nick, whoever is suggesting they sign certain guys or miss on certain guys or whatever, the roster does not support the guys there properly, it seems, which is disappointing. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. I think if they are going to do anything on the deadline or anything to spark wins, it would be to generate enough depth so that you can play lineups that can survive minutes without uh, like three integral players. Anytime OG sits off the bench, for example, we don't have another outlet that can create an advantage when Pascal has five guys on, on him at a certain possession. So that's, Probably a bit that's a bit frustrating. And you've seen teams like um Boston, for example, where the Raptors play really, really well. And um they're able to hit you with a second unit or play a 10 rotation, um 10, 10 guys in their rotation through the game where your team runs out of steam and have a third quarter where mm-hmm. they go off just because Jason Tatum's played 20 minutes, your guys played 30, 30 minutes, and it's only a third quarter. It's, which is tough, man. <laughs> you you just you're asking guys to do a lot more than yeah. most NBA players get asked to do. Like how? Cr- oh God. Anyway, I was gonna say the Brogdon thing again, but we will just leave that. Um, <laughs> I believe you wanted to talk about Fultz before we get out of here. Markel, oh, the all greatest, right. the greatest college mixtape of all time, dude. <laughs> Yeah, Marco Fultz has been amazing for the Magic. I think um, one of the things when like watching the Magic, and I've been watching a lot of them, um, is that right now in the league there isn't because we're in a big guard era, spread pick and roll, where guys who aren't very advanced passers can still be a hub of the offense, like a Tatum or a, a mm-hmm. KD, because the reads are very simple now. There aren't guards that can really organize an offense that that play big minutes. Marco Fultz has probably, um, I know the Magic's offense has jumped significantly since he's came back from injury. And simply because he's getting them into better looks and positions of strength for their younger players, simply by controlling the pace, making sure that they're turning over the ball less and providing um, better looks at, at the offense in, in ways that fit them. Like um, Franz, for example, He's scoring at a much higher rate simply because he's taking less creation possessions and coming off ball and on screens more. And Markel can use his ability to get to the rim and find him and make other plays like that. Ball Ball has has been able to roll to the rim, get a pass from Markel, and finish in the lane. Um, I think this is one thing I've this one gap in the league that I, I've seen. And a lot of young teams don't have that player that can organize a team and get them into actual looks and reps that are going to be useful in in the long term. We've seen that with Mike Conley a bit with Utah. They're a bit older in terms of like who's taking quality shots, but he's able to keep them in in possessions and in 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 game simply by controlling the pace of what's going on. So I think it's really cool to see um, a player like Markel who's had who's had an uphill battle in the league. Um, actually succeed and find a position and place in the league where he's very useful. So I'm really excited to see if they're able to keep up this um, type of energy offensively and win games. Because when young teams are winning games, they will try more on defense. They'll start building habits because they see that it's possible to actually win games that will lead to the future and building an actual culture there. So I think Markel will um, hopefully spark something like really special there. We have a friend. His name is T. And if he's listening to this conversation, he's probably staring at a Corey Joseph poster (laughs) with his hand over his heart saying like offensive organizers are valid and important. And, you know, but Markel Fultz is obviously significantly better than Corey Joseph at this point. But you, you make such a good point about guys who just have a reverence for a possession. They're like, what I have here is important and I won't throw this away until I create something of meaning. And that something of meaning doesn't have to be an assist, but as you say, like these off-ball opportunities, Markel Fultz, rather than whatever magic guard is out there, right? He's gonna be able to shift the defense more. Like he's gonna snake the pick and roll so that that guy on the weak side takes like an extra step in. And not 100% of the time does that guy taking that extra step 
get back into the proper defensive spacing after that. Like once you force movement, you create cracks and ridges for other players to like worm their way into. And Markel Fultz is a guy who tries really hard to stay in the heart of the defense and try and create these little these little cracks and stuff like that. And it's Kyle Lowry was also exceptional at that. Like Kyle Lowry was the perfect guy who would get into a spot and then see that the strong side help wouldn't reset to the proper spot. And then it would always be that like dump down on the strong side because everybody expects the ball to go to the weak side. And now it's set to the strong side and it's like a dunk or it's a layup or something like that. And just making defenses move is so important. And then not making mistakes when you're in that in that mode. And Markel Fultz is a guy who doesn't really make mistakes in that mode. So is Pascal Siakam, for example. But he isn't like a pick and roll guy the same way. I, I wish he was, but he, he doesn't really run it the same I guess the same pacing. He doesn't do it with a in the similar verve that Markel does. But we're both very big fans of Markel. So just like hell yeah, the Magic. If if they win like a a ton of games, and they like let's say they go like north of thirty, that would be yeah. awesome. They go north of thirty five. I am <laughs> hooting and hollering to see them in a play in, dude. Like I just want to see something crazy like that. I don't expect it, but you know, yeah. well, uh, they're fun. Um, I think, and I don't want to give T credit, but there's, there is a, uh, there's a big gap. There isn't many guards that can organize an actual, actual offense. Um, typically when people are getting these opportunities now, and one thing we see with the Raptors is when people get the ball, this is my time for my creation. Whereas Markel or a guard like, um, even like a Luca, for example, he's a organizer, obviously like to the umpteenth level. He's a, what would what, it be like an organizer and an authoritarian, perhaps, you yeah. know, like, like Markel is like at the YMCA, like it's great for everybody organizing like this communal thing. And Luca is like at the top end of government overseeing every aspect of the budget, let's say. Yeah, they're, those type of players are trying to create good shots. And those, and that's a reason why they typically are winning their actual minutes. Because everything is happening within the actual flow and they're making plays and doing what they and putting everybody in position to actually score. So there's one thing I, I want to see, hopefully, for the Raptors and acquire a player like that. I know um, a lot of people in our, our, our circle have been begging for Markel Fultz on our team. Um, so I'm hoping to see more things from the Magic and uh, I'm hoping they crack the plan because they're a very fun team. And they have um, a rare set of players with Paolo and Franz that we haven't really seen. And I want to see if that pairing actually can play in something meaningful. You know what I'm paying attention to on the Magic? <laughs> oh, Anthony, bro. That hairline's creeping. <laughs> That's me and him, bro. Follow the Lions soon. We're there, dude. I'm just saying. You know, same with Jalen Suggs, actually. Damn. Yeah. The yeah. Magic, magic might be team bald soon. They're any player that goes bald in the NBA is usually destined for greatness, though. So, Caruso, yeah, MJ, Charlie Villanueva. There's like a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe Suggs and, Suggs and, actually he's played better this year. I wouldn't say turn it around. He's actually played better. Hey, but, can we? Can, what kind of bet do I have to make so that you would shave your head? You'd be bald <laughs> with me for like you know like the week until it grows back until that like Hall of Fame hairline grows back. <laughs> What kind of what kind of bet do I got to throw on the table here? Um, Pelicans come out of the West. If they come out of the West, I will shave my head. Dead ass. Sure. Dead ass. Okay, wait, wait, wait. But it has to be fair. What am I putting up on the other side? <laughs> I can, you, you, there's no hair to, to put up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. If um, see, but my side is so much easier. I think. Personally, I think Memphis is going to come out of the West. I'll, I'll say this here. If Memphis comes out of the West, will you shave your beard? If Memphis comes out, shave my beard? Yeah. You, Hey, brother, you got it. All right. Okay. Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> I got to be in that. Dude, I got to be in the gym. I got to try and get like a chiseled <laughs> jaw before this happens. Memphis is pretty good. <laughs> Ooh, you know, okay, I like this. You know, right. it's. The bottom of my face is at risk, and the top of yours is at risk too. Okay. The stakes have never been higher. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, anything you want to get off your chest before uh, the end of the season when we get it off the top of your head, bro? You know, end of the podcast. You got any opinions you need to get off? No real opinions. I would just say for like um, the fan base in general, just breathe. We've seen this last year. The last two years, to be honest, has been a, a slow start. Um, they've been rattled with injuries. They're going to get healthy. They're going to play better. And they're going to make the playoffs. I have no concerns about that. I'm pretty optimistic that a career 40% shooter is going to shoot well again. So breathe and just let the process happen. Things are Things are going to work out. You're a real chill dude. Anybody ever tell you that before? <laughs> a few times. Yeah, a few times. Okay. Uh, hey, it's your podcast, dude. You you get us out of here. Let's see. Let's see how you close this thing up. All right. Um, do, do you say it's available on all spots? <laughs> do you, do you ever say that? Uh, if you know, you know. Real recognize, real dude. Real? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. Thank you guys for for listening with us again. Um, we're gonna try to do this twice a month. Where I know with Christmas it's a, a bit shaky for this month. Christmas Day, we're recording. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're gonna try to do this twice a month. It's been really good. Uh, thanks for all the feedback. Anything, mostly, actually, everything's been nice that anybody has said. And I'm just hoping to keep this going and getting better and improving um, more and more. Yeah. Uh, see you guys and it's been lovely <laughs> hell yeah